So this is um, a bit of a confession time. Uh, my sophomore year in college, um, I decided that I wanted to go on spring break with uh, many of my friends, but it happened that spring break also fell on the same week at Easter uh, that particular year when I was in college. Now, my friends and I were taking that great trip uh, to the mecca of all spring break locations, Panama City, <laughs> where holiness abounds. And uh, now, I, I'm not saying this to brag about myself, but this is the thing. I was one of those individuals who did not miss church. And my best friend, who we had grown up together in Somerville, we had gone off to college together, we had roomed together all four years, she was also a person who did not miss church. And so as we were driving into Panama City, because there was not the interwebs back in those days, we kept our eyes open for um, different church services that were going to be happening the next day. And so we woke up on Easter Sunday in Panama City and we went to um, Easter worship. We had also invited some of our friends from Wofford uh, to see if they would like to join us for church. And we had a couple of our friends, because you know we were these good, sweet, sweet young women, who invited some of our friends to come to church with us, and they decided that they would also spend Easter morning at Panama City in church. Like all good Easter worship services, someone can be playing a recorder, and yet Easter services are always lit. And so the worship service was big, bad, fabulous, and just um, tremendous. And some of the folks who were in my group from Wofford actually um, made commitments to God that day. I mean, they literally made commitments to Christ. There was like a time when folks were invited to come up to the altar, and so they went up to the altar, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, beautiful things are happening in Panama City during spring break. I mean, it was, it was a, really, um, a really beautiful thing. But by Easter Sunday evening, kind of taken a turn. <laughs> and we committed ourselves to some other activities that weren't quite like the commitments that we had made earlier in the morning. The kind of commitments to activities where I continue to give God thanks and praise that Facebook wasn't a thing when I was in college. <laughs> I have pictures, but I can always cut those bad boys out. <laughs> wow. So this is the thing, and I hope this is the question you're asking yourself, because at some point that Easter Sunday evening, I was asking myself this question. Did what we do in the morning, was it just simply a show? Was our walking up to the front of the church and feeling completely overwhelmed and wanting to make a new commitment, was this just fake? You know, when you have a mountaintop experience, you leave church on a high, and then by Monday, you just kind of like, you're back to like really like screaming at people, and you wonder, when, when you go off on a retreat and, and you just sense that like this is gonna be the moment where we're gonna turn everything around and like literally it just seems like by the next month you are not the same person whose hands were raised at the retreat. Was that moment fake? Was it all just a show? Is there something inherently wrong in us that that commitment just doesn't stick? 
Well, that's why this morning I want to talk about this gift, and I want you to hear me say this, this gift of repentance, because I think sometimes that's actually where we get things a little bit off, from our Easter Sunday mornings to our Easter Sunday evenings. So here it is in this passage of scripture in Mark chapter 1, that both John and Jesus, these two main characters in the beginning of Mark's gospel, are inviting us into new life, and they're inviting us into new life through this gift called repentance. You have John who finds himself in the wilderness. I mean, he's literally in a deserted place, but it says that people are coming to him. He's got this thriving ministry from the Judean countryside and even from Jerusalem. They're they're coming from the, the city into like the deserted place because he is proclaiming a baptism of repentance. He is telling them about this gift of repentance. And it says that when people come into the deserted place, into the wilderness, that they begin to confess their sins, and then they're also baptized by John. And baptism would have been understood as kind of a a ritual of purification. They're coming because they're believing that John is saying something about them being able to take on a new character and quality of life. And then when John is imprisoned, in verses 14 and 15, Jesus also begins to do the same thing. It says that Jesus is found preaching about repentance. He says that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Let me um, help you to understand what Jesus means when he says the kingdom of God has come near. He literally means, here I am standing in front of me and I am so close you can touch me. That the fulfillment of, of God's goodness is accessible to you. It is so close to you. Joy and mercy and forgiveness, all of the things that Jesus represents, they are right there, right in front of you, that you can taste and see that this kingdom of God is good. And then Jesus says, repent and believe in the good news. Now, for both John and for Jesus, repentance is the link. This invitation to repent. Now, I want you to think back to Panama City. (laughs) And I want to share something. Sometimes we get confession and repentance confused. I just want to say that one more time. Sometimes we get confession and repentance, the invitation to repentance, confused. And that's perfectly okay, because confession and repentance are like siblings who hold hands. Let me help you to understand kind of the the beautiful invitation into both, but how they're a little bit different. Confession is a naming of the old in our lives. It is us being vulnerable. It's us being honest. It's us letting ourselves be laid bare. It's us naming the things that separate us from Jesus. It's uh, naming the ways in which we're separated from our family members and friends, those that we should call um, um, our, our neighbors, but then we make them enemies because of the brokenness or the sinfulness in our lives. It's us actually having to do a deep dive to figure out where in us we are not the people that God has called us to be. So confession is a naming of the old in our lives. Repentance is like a call into new life. It's about making an about face. And in fact, oftentimes when people talk about repentance, they'll talk about making a 180, of like turning around, of coming back home to yourself, of of going back to to the way in which God intended. It's walking away from the things that you confessed so that your life isn't old, but instead your life looks new. Confession is the sibling where we name the things. Repentance is the sibling where we walk away from those things into new life. That's a way we can think 
about these two. You know, folks sometimes say this, um, I ain't about that life. I sometimes think that's like the, the great mantra for what it means to repent. I ain't about that life. Like, I really am not going to be about that particular life. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to do things differently. The word repent comes from the word in Greek metanoia, which means a change of mind or a change of heart uh, that also uh, then leads into some resulting uh, change of life. So it's like your, your head and your heart having a conversation and then talking to your hands and your feet to do something different. That's what it means um, to repent. And John and Jesus are inviting us not into lip service. When, when John says um, he is proclaiming the baptism of repentance, he is basically telling people, I'm going to tell you about what new life can look like that you are not um, just your broken self that you have named, but you can actually live into the ways in which you have an imagination for what a greater life might look like. Or when Jesus says, I want you to repent and believe the good news, like you can actually turn around because when you turn around, I will be standing there by God's grace to give you the power and the ability and the mercy to actually live this new life. Trust me to help you do it differently because the kingdom of God is right in front of you close enough to touch. So repentance is us practicing what it is when we have a change of mind or heart to actually have a change in our lives. Now, if I'm completely honest, and I'm saying this as a pastor, I have had lots of seasons in my life when I have bristled, even when I've heard the word repent. Like, I mean, it has not always felt like um, the kindest word because I have, I have had some people in my life who have used it to almost like weaponize, like, I mean, to really like injure me. Um, and and when, when repentance is spoken about or preached about and it is only linked to condemnation, but not also forgiveness of sins or mercy or what will give you the strength to actually lead a new life, you almost feel like, well, you're in a pit and someone's screaming at you, get better, get better, get better, get better, get better, get better, but I'm not gonna tell you how to get out of the pit. Then all your life is like, well, I might as well just go ahead and get like used to being in the pit. It, it just feels really, really hard and heavy. I, I was driving down the street, um, down Jones Street about two weeks ago, and there was um, a gentleman, I, I, you know, he's one of our brothers, a, ge a gentleman, a very lovely human being. I don't know who this person is, but he had a very large megaphone and uh, some sandwich board, and he was literally screaming am amongst all these, like, elementary school kids who were going to the, um, the science museum about repentance, repent, repent. I mean, he was like, I mean, you know when, you're, when you scream so much that you're, like, spitting a lot? Like, he's screaming at all of, like, these third graders. And the holiest thing that I could think in my mind was like, nah, bruh, this is not, this is not gonna work. Like, this is not effective at all. And I wish that in the seasons when I've bristled, when I've heard someone say, repent, that I could have imagined myself standing beside that man and saying to um, those who were gathered on Jones Street, what he means by repent is that it's a return to your God self. That it's a return to your goodness. That it's you not having to live in your shame or your brokenness or your woundedness. It, it is you uh, not sitting too long in your, how did I get here? 
and how do I get out? But that maybe if I just begin by the grace of God to turn in a new direction, that life that Jesus says that is available for me, a life of goodness and mercy where I can also be good and also merciful is actually true and real and available for me. That yes, repentance is scary because it means you have to sit down sometimes with your shadow side and that you've got to name the things that cause you to always want to turn back around whenever God has said to you, repent and turn this way. No, 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 I want to turn back around. Oh, no, 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 turn this way. I want to turn back around. You have to sometimes say, gosh, it's my loneliness that keeps me going back to this place. It's my, my wanting to compare myself that keeps me coming back to this place. It's my greed that keeps me coming back to this place. It's my anger that keeps me coming back to this place. It's my overwhelming lust and just needing to be loved in particular ways that keeps me coming back to this place that repentance is going to be scary but that if Jesus has invited you into it then it is good and that it leads to life that repentance also requires some self-knowing a self-knowing that um, takes us getting so honest about how we got in the situations that we've gotten ourselves into. It's why I love this story um, that's oftentimes referred to as the prodigal son. And in um, the story of the prodigal son in Luke's gospel, there's a young man who asked his father for his inheritance before his father is dead. So it's really like an insult. It's kind of like, Dad you're, Dad, you're taking too long to die. I just want your money. And so he goes and he gets his father's inheritance. And it says that he goes to a far off place. He, he goes into the wilderness of his life and he squanders all of this money that his father had given him. And after he has squandered all of this money that his father has given him, it says that there's a famine that comes over the land. And when this famine comes over the land, this young man has to basically be, be hired um, to take care of pigs, of a farmer. And even the droplings that come out of the pig's mouths, the young man is so hungry that he sees them as like a buffet before him. He is in a desperate place. And it says in Luke's gospel, and then he comes to himself. Metanoia, change of mind. He comes to himself and, and, he, and he begins to realize even my father's servants don't have to live this way. And it says that the young man gets up and he makes his return home. Repent. And he goes in a new direction. He comes to himself. How did I get here? And then makes the about face. I want to go home. Sometimes I wish I could stand beside those who are screaming, repent, 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 in a way that feels injurious to say, when Jesus says repent, and to turn from the things that separate you from knowing what it is to really live your best life, repentance calls you home. Now I said that this, um, sermon series about, is about practices. And you might be thinking, well, how do we practice repentance? Well, I want to give you three things that you can begin to do that might help you to actually like lean into this particular practice of repentance. 
I didn't come up with these things. A gentleman by the name of Mike Green in his book, Building a Discipling Culture, he actually uses these as prompts that might help us to lean into this gift. The first is to observe where you are, which means that you have to take a little bit of time, maybe in silence or solitude or quiet, take a little bit of time to do an assessment of your life. Like, oh my gosh, why is it that I just always find myself trying to sabotage this person? If you don't quiet yourself, you'll just continue to do a lot of things. And you'll operate in the old life, but you have to sometimes say, gosh, you know, I find that it's like with all the people that I have distant relationships with, I'm so kind to you, but the people that are nearest to me, I'm, I am just like horrible to them. What is that thing in me? Like you have to stop and like, and say, what is, what is the, you know, what is the thing? And then reflect on it. You know, I, I do that because I, I want people to see me. I do that because I want people to love me. I, I do that because I sometimes just get bored to take a little bit of an assessment over the things in your life that keep you from being who God has called you to be. And then this last piece is that, how is it that you can actually operate in community so that what you're observing and reflecting and even saying with your lips that you want to be better, that there are those who can also help you to become better? Folks left the Judean countryside in Jerusalem and they came to John. Now it may not be that you always come to a person, but maybe in the midst of worship, this is the time when you're like, God, I gotta hand some things over to you, that I've got to get really honest with you, that I might need to even invite some people around me uh, to hold me accountable for the ways in which I am trying to walk in the opposite direction of the things that cause me to be broken. What the practice of repentance does not look like, it does not make, mean making your faith into an X plus Y equals Z, and you now creating some more holy hoops that you think you need to jump through in order to perform life. Instead, when we, we observe and we reflect and, and we ask people to hold us accountable, we then begin to live life. We can fake trying to look like, oh, all things are well. but we want to actually live as though all things are well by the grace of God. So it's not X plus Y equals Z or that all of us have the same trajectory and our faith journeys or what it takes for us to be able to actually have the courage to turn around. That'll be God's good work in us to remind us that as we are going home, that God goes home with us and that when we get home, God is there to be there for us. And that God can also be in us as we make that new change in our lives. As our worship team um, comes back, this is the thing about the practice of repentance. In order for you to have enough courage to still yourselves, to get honest about those particular things in your life that you know is not the reflection of the life that God has called you into. Whether it be dishonesty, whether it be greed, whether it be the things that your mind is always thinking about, if you do not also trust in the forgiveness of sins, you will stay in a stuck place if you believe that God's 
invitation of grace is also lip service. So you have to believe that when Christ says to us that he died for us while we were yet sinners and that proves God's love toward us, that that's actually true. That when Jesus opens up his arms and he takes on the pains of the world that we cannot take on ourselves, that Jesus' good work actually happened. That the life that we feel like we are stuck in is not a life um, that Jesus cannot do something with. That if Jesus says repent and invites us into uh, a new life, that by the grace and the goodness and the power of Jesus that we might be able to actually live and lead new lives. So I'm going to invite us to be courageous. If you right now would just bow your head and close your eyes. Is there a place in your life where you've been resistant? Is there an obstacle? A character trait? A way that you've navigated this world that speaks to an old life? Are there things that you say, things that you do, things that you think that you know cannot be held in the vision of life that God has for you? Do you feel like you're in a pit and has it become comfortable there? Have you become known by your pit experience? Oh, he's always been like that. That's just the way she does things. To the point that you're also making those self-declarations over yourself. Might you hear Jesus' invitation this morning? Repent. make an about face. You're not just destined to be mean. You're not destined to be angry. You're not destined to be addicted. You're not destined to be a person who always breaks other people. You're not destined to lie. You're not destined to be overcome by wants and needs, to the point of gorging, not being able to enjoy, but literally being numbed by those things. Make an about face. Jesus is calling us home. Jesus is reminding us 
that where we cannot make the change, that where we cannot make the move, when the turning feels like it's going to even break us, that Jesus will be Emmanuel, God who is with us. And that the good news is this, is that when we get honest, when we get real, Jesus will offer us a gift. Not to condemn us, but to raise us up to new life. So God, we repent. Free us for joyful obedience. That we might lead these new and beautiful lives. We're making an about face. In the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name that we pray.